Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. He did a dream, a dream, though what's harder to live. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome on into episode 141 of the Hoopers Log. It is May 18th, 2016, and yes, we are doing every other day. It is a hump day, and our next show will be on Friday. But for now, we're doing episode 141, and we do have some breaking news as we walk into the studio. Yes, we do have some breaking news, and that breaking news is that the New York Knicks are going to hire Jeff Hornacek. Why hire Jeff Hornacek? Really? You're going to hire Jeff Hornacek to be your head coach after he just did nothing in Phoenix for the last two, three years. You're really going to give this guy a second chance when you got guys like Frank Vogel, you got other guys like Kevin McHale, you got a whole bunch of other qualified Mark Jackson, qualified coaches, and you're going to give a guy like Jeff Hornacek. No knock on Jeff. I mean, there's, I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying there are better candidates out there, and you're going to pick up a guy like Jeff Hornacek. Look, Phil Jackson is not trying to work to make this team a better team anymore, unless his vision is just a different vision that we can't all connect to, because this is odd. It's just flat-out odd to have him be the head coach. If you want to talk about this, please feel free to do so. And other things that we're going to get to on the show today, 323 642 1558. It is 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, episode 141 on the Hooper's Log on CLNS Radio in the SeatGeek Studios. My name is Simo Buckets, and it is a Wednesday, and there is a ton to get to. Yesterday, the NBA lottery went through all chalk. Every team that did what they did this season got the picks they're supposed to. If there was no such thing as a lottery, the picks would have been what they came to last night before the first game of the Eastern Conference Finals. Speaking of game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, we'll blaze through that one as the Cavs did last night. And then also in the Western Conference Finals game one, we will talk about that one as well and also preview game two tonight, which will be on in a little under an hour now on TNT at 9 p.m. Eastern time, 6 p.m. Pacific. If you'd like to call in and talk about anything basketball, please feel free to do so. The phone number again is 323-642. One five five eight. If my if my line drops, right. I fall away from everything. Exactly. If it if it falls off, and I just all of a sudden fall off the line, it's because right now we're having you know uh, rain, sunshine, rain, sunshine, cloud cover. I mean, it it might knock me off the air. And if I knock off the air, I will turn on some music, and I will all of a sudden come back, and I'll hopefully be ready for you. Um, Andrew Norris should be with us today. Hopefully he's with us shortly. He's been a very, very, very busy man. 
Um, but again, my name is Simo Buckets. I'm in here for you on the show. A ton of stuff going on in the NBA. Let's get to it. We're first of all, we're going to talk about talk about the lottery uh, and what happened yesterday, and uh, we're going to get it going. Uh, Kevin Hart started off for us. Let's get the all show right, on the road. Right, all right. We're going to learn today. I want to talk about the lottery uh, real quick before we get to these games from last night. And again, if you'd like to call on the phone number is three two three. Six four two one five five eight. I'm fascinated with how the lottery results happen. First of all, Chicago got the 14th pick, Phoenix 13, Utah 12, Orlando picked up the 11th pick, Milwaukee 10, Toronto 9. Uh, obviously, they picked up the pick from Denver. Phoenix also picked up their pick from Washington. Um, and then uh, Sacramento at 8, Denver got the 7th pick, New Orleans got the 6th pick, Minnesota, Phoenix, Boston from what the Brooklyn Nets had, Lakers, and then the Philadelphia 76ers picked up Philadelphia picked up that pick at the number one spot. Yeah! Philadelphia! They got it! They got the number one pick. They're going to be the team to play for. The Philadelphia 76ers are going to be back to the NBA championship, baby! No. No. The Philadelphia 76ers pick up the first pick, and everyone's talking about how they're going to screw it up. And interestingly enough, what I find weird is that everyone thinks that all of a sudden Philadelphia is going to go on and not pick Ben Simmons. I told you this Martin might happen. the jump shot. Gordeman yes. with a nice yes. outlet. Simmons on go. the move. And he missed the dunk. He tried to punch it yeah. with the offhand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the equivalent of what the Philadelphia 76ers people are feeling like is going to happen with Ben Simmons. People are – look, here's the fascinating part, the NBA lottery. Everyone's all up in arms. You know, everyone's going to be up in arms about the lottery no matter what happens. No one likes it. Everyone thinks there should be a di- different system. I don't disagree with that statement. The problem is, is I have is now the media – and I knew this the moment the media was going to come out. The moment the Lakers got the second pick or did not get the first pick, I guaranteed this was going to happen today. And it did in a different way. But it still happened. People are now throwing shade at Ben Simmons saying that he's not ready to be in the NBA. Are you out of your mind? And then there's this other conversation of people saying this is going to be the worst draft in 15 years. What? Are you? Look, last year's draft, everyone was saying the exact same thing, and they had credibility in saying so. Look, if you want to throw shade at the players coming into this draft, I think you're out of your mind. Outside of Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, eh. Kind of average. Carl Anthony Towns coming into the draft. We all thought he was a little, a little early coming in. He was polished and ready. Obviously, becoming unanimous MVP. Uh, you know, visionist history. Uh, you know, revisionist history kind of gets us. But no one thought Carl Anthony Towns was going to be as good as he was coming into this year. D'Angelo Russell, eh? Julio Okafor. We all thought he was the next big thing. He dropped to three. He was eh. Devin Booker was picked at thirteen. No one thought he'd be as good as he was. Chris Porzingis was picked at four. Everyone questioned that. Mario Hazonia, he did nothing this year. Willie Cauley-Stein, he did nothing. Emmanuel Moutier, he, he totally underperformed from what we all expected. Stanley Johnson was a good role player. He still got a lot of growth to do. Frank Kaminsky, solid role player, nothing crazy. Justice Winslow did not play as much as we thought. Milestone. You name off the names in the NBA draft from a year ago, and a lot of them did nothing. I mean, realistically, a lot of them weren't anything special outside of maybe Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Daps, Przingis, and, and a couple other guys in spot places, you know, outside of that, Devin Booker was fantastic. But outside of that, it's like, all right, you know, kind of what we expected. A lot of guys not ready to come into the NBA yet, not ready developmentally to be where we all expected them to be. 
and you see this team and you see how this team and you see these teams and you see the the media throwing shade all over look oh this is the worst draft we've seen the worst type of prospects we've seen in 10 15 years are you crazy are you let me list off some of the names for you coming into this draft guys that are more than ready to be in the draft more than last year and years have passed you know in the last 3 or 4 years you can make the case that the drafts have not been as good because guys haven't been necessarily ready to enter the NBA immediately. Look at the players coming in. Ben Simmons. Look, Ben Simmons was ready when he, when he got out of high school. The moment he stepped foot on LSU, he was an NBA-ready player now. I don't know where all the hype's coming in from Brandon Ingram. I know he's a, he could be a legit shooter and scorer coming into the NBA. I could see it happening. I could see it, I could see it working. I could see it going. I could. But, again, he's got a couple years to develop. Dragan Bender, I don't know who the heck this guy is. He's from Israel. He's a power forward, seven-foot big man. They're saying he could potentially go to the Boston Celtics. Also, Jamal Murray from from Kentucky, he's legit. He's been in college for a while. He's legit. Jalen Brown, another legit, bona fide guy. Not immediate, but, again, down the road, going to be great. Chris Dunn can impact the team now. Buddy Heald, he can impact the team now scoring-wise. You got guys like uh, you got guys like Denzel Valentine coming in who can impact a team now. You have guys Tyler Eulis, he can impact a team now. He's not going to be great, but he can impact a team immediately. You got other guys coming into the league that are that aren't great players, but when it comes to role players coming in, this top ten in the NBA draft this year, I think is heavily loaded with guys who can impact teams immediately in the NBA. And there are people sitting here in the national media sitting back saying, oh, you know, this, this draft is so bad. It's going to be so horrible. And, you know, there is one thing I do have to say, and what's fascinating, you got guys like Chris Dunn now uh, mentioning to their, to their guys, to their owners, to who you want to talk. They're saying, I don't want to play for this certain team. Like Ben Simmons saying, I don't want to play for Philadelphia because my shoe contract will work better in L.A., Shut your mouth. Like, when it comes to these kids and these 19, 20-year-old kids coming out of college saying, ah, you know, they don't want to play it, just shut your mouth. No one is telling you to play any which way or whichever you want to go to, and you're coming out saying, I don't want to play for Philadelphia. I don't want to play for Chris Dunn saying, I don't want to play for Boston. I don't want to play for the Sun. You know, I understand their their perspective, but this isn't like – you can't just choose – look, it – this is, it's, like, it's like the war. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to try and compare sports to war. But when it comes to the draft, it's a lot like that. You can't just say, I don't know. I don't want to go to war. I don't want to go because they can't make me. It's the same thing. You can't just come out here and say, I, I don't want to go to this. I don't want to go to the 76ers. I don't want to go to the Suns or the Celtics because I don't want to. Like, what, are you, what message are you sending as a team player heading into the league when that happens? You know, Ben Simmons saying he doesn't want to go. And then you have all these people. I knew this was going to happen. Everyone's going to start throwing shade at Ben Simmons because, oh, he's a 19-year-old kid. He didn't play very well at LSU. He didn't do this. You got to recognize most of the national media is located on the West Coast. They are. Most of them, 90% of the national media, when it comes to what you hear on the radio, is located in the Western time zone because that's just how they, how they operate. Now, don't get me wrong. There's definitely East Coast media, but when it comes to the national spotlight, it comes from the California area, Southern California area. A lot of the national media talks from an L.A. Laker perspective. A lot of them are going to have agendas on trying to sway Ben Simmons and talk about how he doesn't, how he's this, how he's that, how he's really not there. Look, Ben Simmons, people. You need to understand, this has been a thing since last draft. Ever since the 2015 draft happened, everyone's been talking Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, 
Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, when he comes into the NBA draft this year and he goes into the NBA next season, he's going to have his own storyline following him for the rest of his career a lot like LeBron. Is he going to be LeBron? No, he's not going to be LeBron. But he is an unbelievably unique talent, someone we haven't seen since LeBron. And it's not that he is going to be LeBron better than LeBron. He is just that gifted and that great, and and his size is uniquely terrifying. And people are now throwing shade his way because all of a sudden, oh, Ben Simmons, you know, he's going to go to Philadelphia and become a bust. Are you out of your mind? Did you guys watch Carl Anthony Towns last year? Did you watch, uh, you know, guys like uh, D'Angelo Russell or other guys like this? You You saw guys who are gifted. They're going to do what they do. Ben Simmons is gifted. He is going to be an absolute dynamo of a basketball player. It doesn't matter where he plays. He's going to be dynamic. Is he going to impact a team immediately and be a legend all of a sudden? No, I don't think he's going to be that instantly. But you give him a month, he gets his feet wet, this guy's ready. I mean, I'm telling you, he is a big 6'10", 225-type player who can come in and, and instantly contribute and be a dynamo. Is he going to help them be successful immediately? I mean, that's up for debate. But when it comes to being a legend in the NBA, Ben Simmons is going to be there. And what's, what, what makes me frustrated is now all of a sudden, since the Lakers didn't get the number one pick, Ben Simmons is all of a sudden getting all this shade. We all know where the media is going with this. We do. The media is trying to sway their narrative to try and get you to think that Ben Simmons isn't, isn't all that. And then once he goes to the Lakers, everyone's going to say, oh, the Lakers are set for 20 years. Ben Simmons is the next Kobe. That's exactly what's going to happen. Exactly what's going to happen. And then you hear all that. Look, then you got people on all sorts of kind of drugs saying that, you know, oh, the, you know, the Lakers are going to try and rebuild and get great now. Are you kidding? The Lakers are in a position right now where they have no room to build to become a great team immediately. They don't have anything. They have no, they have no assets. They have nothing. They have the number two pick. What are they going to get for the number two pick? More picks? That's not going to trade you up more immediately and be, make you great. What's to say that the Lakers are an instant hotbed for teams to go anywhere? I, look, I mean, or players to go anywhere? That's not going to happen. No. The lottery is what it was. And now for the next month leading up to the NBA draft, you're going to hear all sorts of shade, shenanigans, uh, trade rumors, uh, storylines, uh, gossip, all sorts of things to try and get you to think that Ben Simmons isn't the automatic number one pick. If the Philadelphia 76ers knew what's best for them, they would turn off social media, turn off everything, put on blinders, run the race, get to the uh, draft in a month, and just pick Ben Simmons, turn off their, their social media, national media. Because I can guarantee you the moment they, the, the, their, their ownership, coach, whoever you want to mention it, walks into that green room on, you know, or, or, that, or that boardroom leading up to the NBA draft – there's going to be some storyline questions that they're going to get asked, these narrative that these narrative people spin, that the media spins, and they're going to sit there and they're going to be like, oh, yeah. What's your reaction to Ben Simmons hitting on a girl from, you know, when he was 17 years old sending a tweet and a text to this? Are you nuts? That's exactly what the media is going to try and do. The media is going to try and spin every single type of, of shenanigan your way to make you think that Ben Simmons isn't the next great one. Because I'm just going to sit here and tell you, 19 years old, 6'10", 225 pounds, he's the next great one. He is. I don't need to sit here and tell you. That's what he's going to be. And if anyone had a brain and if anyone could think for themselves and the sheep turned off their social media, you would recognize that Ben Simmons is the next great one. I don't need to hear anything. 
Literally. And if you're a 76ers owner, GM, coach, whatever you want to call it, front office person, you shut off your social media and you know that Ben Simmons is walking in that door and you're going to set him up for success. Now, that's for debate for what that organization is going to do to set him up for quote-unquote success. But when it comes to this guy's skill and talent, he is NBA ready right now. And he's so good that he may be a contender for, for an all-star ballot next year. That's how good this guy is. Now, can he lead this team to great success? We all saw what LeBron did in his rookie year. The Cavs, were, the Cavs won 30 games his rookie year. They weren't going to win a championship their first year out of the gate. I'm not saying that about Ben Simmons. I'm saying instant impact. Ben Simmons will provide that, and he will get it done. That's all I got to say. And then this whole Brandon Ingram and everyone else, but Buddy Heald, Denzel Valentine, this, this draft is deep. People saying that this draft is not deep, you're out of your mind. This draft is deeper than last year. People who are throwing shade at the draft and saying, oh, it's not that great. I don't know what kind of coffee and what kind of pills that people are putting into their food this morning to say that this draft is not that great, but this is going to be one of the best drafts we've seen, and we're going to look back on this draft and think, Damn, that was one of the best drafts in NBA history from the standpoint of role players, from the standpoint of guys that can immediately impact, from the standpoint of a legend in in Ben Simmons, from the standpoint of Buddy Heald immediately impacting and potentially competing for Rookie of the Year with a guy like Ben Simmons. I think Ben Simmons is going to win Rookie of the Year, but I think Buddy Heald can make some noise and do some things and help a team's success immediately. I think that's what's going to happen, and Denzel Valentine, when healthy, is a scary dynamic threat. You got guys coming into this draft, four, five, six guys that you can name off the top of your head, Jalen Brown, Jamal Murray, uh, you know, Ben Simmons, uh, Brandon Ingram. You got guys like Denzel Valentine, Buddy Heal, guys that are experienced, uh, mature, and guys who are just so ridiculously gifted. And people are sitting here saying the draft isn't deep. Are you nuts? You're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. We got a caller on. I think this is my guy. I think this is my guy uh, uh, when it comes to uh, living out here in the Pacific Northwest. I believe it is, uh, it is Silver on the line. We also have 253. I believe that's Chris. We'll get him on the line as well. But, but Steve, what's up, man? How's it going? Hey, man. I appreciate the, uh, appreciate the time today, man. How's everything with you today, bud? Yeah. It's going good, man. It's going good. Hey, uh, so I agree with you. Um, I completely agree with you. As far as as far as uh, role players in this draft, you're gonna uh, you can, you can easily go 15 to 18 deep. So I mean, if you're if you're sitting outside of the top three and you're looking you're looking for at least some some decent type of impact, and if you're one of those teams that were were basically on the outside looking into the playoffs this year, you're gonna be able you're gonna be able to round out that roster with some pretty you know with some pretty decent talent this year, uh, and. I, I wouldn't say it's just as good as having a top, you know, top six pick. But I mean, if you're looking, if you're looking for some quality minutes and you're looking for some quality buckets, you're going to find it. Uh, you're going to find it from picks eight to eight to fifteen this year, buddy. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think, I think, I think late in the draft, we're going to see some names that we haven't heard before. But these GMs later on in the draft. Now, don't get me wrong. You got. You got the circus in the bottom portion, in the top portion of the draft with the Lakers and Sixers and all. But all those organizations have kind of hand wrapped teams, uh, players going to them. You know, Brandon Ingram, Ben Simmons. These guys, they're not going to be. I mean, uh, maybe not Ben Simmons, but Brandon Ingram's kind of a toss up when it comes to. He's a great shooter. He is going to be unbelievable when he get when he gets older. But he's a guy who can come in right now and score. You know, maybe 10, 12 points off. You know, uh, twenty minutes off the bench if he can. You know, he can do that in spite. He's not going to do it all the time early on, 
but down the road he's going to get better. Right now he's young. Ben Simmons, he can jump in right now and he can get you. He can get you. He can average a fifteen four and five. That's what that guy's going to do immediately as a rookie. He's going to do that. And then come the next year, he's probably going to average 23 and whatever. He's going to be great. And, and that's what's going to happen this season. And like you said, bench player or role players coming off the bench. This draft is loaded for that. Absolutely loaded for that. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we, yep. uh, I got another caller yep. on the line. Yes, sir. I have two questions really quick and I'll, I will make them quick. Number one, uh, Outside of Philadelphia botching this pick, which I actually do believe that they're going to do, um, I, I, not to say that Ben Simmons is, is, a, is a bad product or that his ceiling's not high. I just don't think the fit is good for sure. Philly, and I would probably, I would probably take the other kid uh, number one overall and you know, potentially leave ben Simmons, on, ben Simmons to the Lakers, something like that. Now, that being said, the Lakers do have the number two pick. And I was thinking about this, and I was kind of reading, reading some stuff, and I look at who has the number three pick, and that's the Boston Celtics. And traditionally, these two teams really don't trade with each other. But the thing about it is, I also think that the Lakers don't need one of these top two picks. The prevent, you know, the, the you know the uh, Ben Simmons and the right. um, yeah, I, I don't think they need that guy. What I think that they need is somebody that's a little bit more mature coming. In. I like the guy Chris Dunn from Providence, the senior, the, the you know the 23 year old coming out of Providence, yeah. and I actually think he's a little bit better of a fit for the Lakers. Do you do you think? Yes. That maybe that the and the Celtics don't need a point guard. That's the thing; they really don't need a point guard because they got one in, right. a, in Isaiah Thomas, who's you know who who's absolutely turning into something fantastic. Do you think that there might be a, pit, yeah. a fit there for the Lakers and the Celtics, maybe to swap picks? Maybe maybe the Lakers might uh, might be able to come up with a couple you know a couple other picks because the Celtics are flush with draft picks. Do you think that maybe there might be a fit where the Lakers end up with a dude like Chris Dunn because he's you know they like him they like him a lot and they don't need I, I don't I don't think the Lakers need to overreach with something that's a little bit immature with a team with a roster full of immaturity I'm just kind of curious what you think. Here's my here's my thing if I'm a Celtics fan and this is this is if I'm a person sitting in the Celtics front office and this is if I'm sitting if I'm someone just if I'm Brad Stevens and I'm look this is what I'm doing. I already have a team set up and ready to go. I mean, everything's ready to go. That, that, that platform, that organization is ready to win now. You know what you do? You sit back, you do a whole red hour back, you put a cigar in your mouth, and you sit there and you write the name Buddy Heald on your whiteboard, and you say, we're winning a championship in three years. That's what you do because Buddy Heald can score now. That guy can score 20 in the NBA right now. That guy can shoot from anywhere on the basketball court. He can create his own shot. He's got a team around him in Boston if they pick him up, and they're going to be a legit contender next season in the East. Are they going to beat LeBron and the Cavs? Absolutely not. Are they going to contend like the Toronto Raptors and get to the Eastern Conference Finals? You bet your ass that's going to happen. You pick up a guy like Buddy Heald, whether it's three, whether it's four, whether it's five, whether it's wherever you need to get. You pick up Buddy Heald right now because then you have Isaiah Thomas, Buddy Heald, then you have guys like Jared Sollinger, uh, Amir Johnson. You got all these guys coming off the bench and that complete core with Jay Crowder. You've got a team yep. right now with Buddy Heald, a score down the stretch, who we've seen. I don't care what anybody says. If you step back, this is what blows my mind about the national media. And I'm going to get to the other phone caller in a second. But this is what blows sure. my mind about the national media. They sit here and they say that the, that the draft is not deep and not great. Did you watch Buddy Heald in the, in the NCAA tournament? He carried his team through two straight games in the Elite Eight 
and and almost got them to the final. I, I think he, I think they got to the final four. If they didn't, I'm solely mistaken. It's been two months. I forgot. But Buddy Heald carried his team in one of those games, and he put on a shooting display that was one of the greatest shooting displays we've ever seen in college basketball history. And that was on national television at a big on a big time stage in front of everybody in a one game tournament. You're gonna sit here and tell me that guy's not ready to play against mature talent. Now, don't get me wrong. It's gonna take him a couple of months to get ready. But once you know, by the time March of 2017, uh, you know, April 2017 rolls around and the Celtics are rolling in the East, this guy is going to be starting scoring 20 points a game. He's going to look a lot like Devin Booker, if not better, because he's he's more mature, um, you know, uh, uh, athletically, you know, skill wise. He's got it all going, and he is a just flat out scorer. That is what the Celtics need. That's all they need. I don't think the Celtics need to make a move now. If you think you can get Buddy Heald at the five or the four or something, and you can trade away and get something better over time with that. I don't think the Celtics need to really do much. Now, and I agree with you from the standpoint of the Lakers. They don't necessarily need a guy like Brandon Ingram or Ben Simmons. They need to get an older guy, and they need to move around in the draft. But from the standpoint of the Celtics, I'm, I'm right now, you know what I do? I, I, put, I put Buddy Heald on a big whiteboard in every single front office person's <laughs> face. You go, you leave for a month, take your, take your month vacation, come back day before the draft, Pick up Buddy Heald and then go back to your island and sip on some margaritas. That's all you got to do if you're a Celtics fan right now. This team is set, and I'm not just being a homer for CLNS. I'm being honest. You pick up Buddy Heald right now, and you're instantly you're a top four team in the Eastern Conference. And I'm not trying to sit here and say Buddy Heald's the next great one, but when it comes to instant impact and success, this guy has taken huge leaps throughout his Oklahoma career. And two years ago, we didn't know who this guy was because he wasn't mature ready yet. Now, all of a sudden, he can step into an NBA basketball game and shoot an 18-foot mid-range jumper, and I can pretty much guarantee 70% of the time it's going down, whether there's a, fa- a hand in his face, whether there's a defender on him. And with the system they got in, in, in the Celtics, he can slip right in and put up 20 points a night, not to say it'll be easy early on, but as he gets comfortable and as he gets his feet wet and as he starts figuring out the system, Brad Stevens is going to set him up for success, and that team instantly will win. Fi- I, 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 don't, I mean, in the Eastern Conference, they'll win 50 games they're not a 50 win team overall but in the east they can win 50 if they get a guy like buddy healed and maybe add one extra piece you think about this you pick up a guy in buddy healed isaiah thomas who's to say and i know it's not going to happen now especially with the way uh, kevin durant's been playing in oklahoma city but what if kevin right. durant went to the boss you're, you're a championship contending team instantly in instantly Lee. And what a better player to learn from Buddy Heald and Kevin Durant if he walked through the door in Boston. You're talking about a championship team now. Like now. Like I'm talking now. They can compete with everybody. It's not going to happen. Kevin Durant's not going to Boston. Pick up a guy in Hassan Whiteside. Pick up Buddy Heald. Bam. Right there. You've got a team that can contend in the East. Now, will they beat the Cavs? No. But can they compete? Absolutely. So that's what I have to say when it comes to the Boston Celtics. Any other questions before I get to this next caller? Yep. Yep. Lastly, um, lastly, because you – I'm not going to sit here and say that the NBA draft lottery is rigged because I think in this day and age with the with the 24/7 news cycle and Twitter and all that stuff, I don't think the sure. I don't think the NBA would dare do something like rigging their own draft lottery. But that being said, as we've seen over the last 10 years, there are teams that really just don't want to spend money and they're playing for the top three picks in the in the draft lottery year after year after year. And I I, I got to be honest with you, man, I'm sick and tired of teams playing you know playing for the draft lottery instead of actually doing right by their fans right. and actually trying to put a, put a good product. How would you feel if the NBA tweaked it? And this is kind of a cool idea. Instead of instead of having the bottom feeders sure. bottom feeders of the leagues being rewarded for being crappy and being hot garbage, how about reward the teams that are actually trying to win? 
And instead of the, instead of the bottom five yeah. teams, how about the five teams that were just on, right on the outside of looking in for the playoffs? Teams like the Bulls, the Jazz, um, and, and some of those other teams that were just on the outside looking in that were trying hard to win this year. How about you reward those teams sure. for actually for trying to win instead of the teams that really are just not trying to do anything except for spinning their wheels? You know, and, and and we got a guy on hold right now. I'm pretty sure is Chris. He's on, he's from Twitter. He's fantastic. He lives out here in the Pacific Northwest as well. Um, he he brought up a great article and talked about how they should probably have like a little tournament prior to the lottery, and they should try and do this thing where they have a tournament lottery for those teams that are you know uh, opposite you know like basically teams that are last place they get the first seed and they get bye weeks and stuff. But the teams that actually uh, do did play hard, they should be able to fight their way in to try and get that number to try and get that number one pick. I think there's got to be something done where, like you said, you can't reward these teams that tank like the 76ers, like the, I don't think the Lakers were intentionally, intentionally tanking, but they were systematically. Yes, they were tanking. Um, and, and I agree with you from that perspective that we need to do something about it and that an idea needs to come up front from the front office of the NBA and say, Hey, you know, we need to really fix some of these organizations and find a way to fix them. Uh, thanks. Thanks again for calling uh, uh, here on the show. And uh, I'll get to, uh, we'll talk more, Steve. We'll talk more. All yeah. right. Thanks man. Have a good day. Have a good evening. All right, man. Awesome. Good stuff. A- absolutely. You too, Steve. We got another caller on the hotline bling. Hey, how's it going? Two, five, three. Is this Chris? Yeah, man. What's up? How you doing? Hey, did you hear my rant about getting Buddy Heald under the Celtics and becoming an NBA title championship uh, content? I don't. I'm not going to go. I'm that telling far. you, I was I mean, literally hey, what was your, thinking that. What was your, isn't that crazy though? Like, what what's your take on the lottery from yesterday, and what what do you, what's your take overall on what's going to happen here over the next month uh, leading up to the draft? Um, I definitely agree with what, a lot of what you had to say. I really just yesterday it was kind of a letdown, you know, with the kind of the way Twitter yeah. is now, and it's kind of like everybody was so excited and kind of hype about what would be happening, and he's just kind of looking. Everything happened the way it was supposed to, and it just seems like it was too perfect. You know, it was just everything went too according to plan. Nothing surprising happened. I wasn't shocked by anything at all, and um, I was just ranting all, all day on Twitter about how yeah. we need to change the draft lottery system because it's just uneventful. Yeah. You know, it's just nothing is really really happening here. But I definitely do think over the next month, um, the, like you said, the media, they're definitely pushing for Simmons to come to L.A. Like, I'm in L.A. right now, and they yep. want Simmons here. Man. They definitely want him. And they're going to make yep. make sure that they talk up Ingram more. And uh, I guarantee you, ESPN will be breaking down Simmons and talking about some negatives on his side um, to where oh, yeah. he – he, just to make him look much worse to the 76ers to kind of get in their mind a little bit. But to be honest, I would take – I would love to have ben, uh, ben Simmons in L.A., but Ingram wouldn't be bad either because he fits the new mold for the NBA. Like that kind of swing man that's kind of big and shoot and can move a little bit off the ball. It's kind of, he can fit that mold right now. So Simmons is definitely the superstar, but getting Ingram wouldn't be too bad either. And I, I definitely I don't think that I think if this if the Lakers draft Simmons they have to get rid of Randall. It's kind of like I don't see how those two can play together. Neither one of them can shoot, and they'll kind of just be just bunched up all the time. You know, and I just think that'll slow the offense right. down a lot in LA. 
Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I'm looking at, I'm looking at Ben, I'm looking at Buddy Heald right now. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm so. Look, I, this is the thing that's crazy. I have been listening to the media. I listen to Sports Talk Radio when I'm at work, and I listen to the national media quite often. And and what they're doing is, I, I agree with you. They're trying to find ways to get a guy like Ben Simmons into. Uh, they're trying to find a way to get a guy like Ben Simmons into LA, and it needs to happen from the standpoint of just media market. It's the standpoint of you know LeBron. He's not done, obviously. He's got another five, six, seven years of basketball. But his storyline is starting to disappear, and they need a new face of the league. And Ben Simmons has got to be the guy. I mean, he really does. He's, we all seen his talent. We all know his skill set. We all know what he can do. People are saying, oh, he can't shoot. He can't. I don't care if he can't shoot. LeBron couldn't shoot a damn ball from 15 feet out before he came into the league at 18. Outside of that, that guy could get everywhere he wanted on the court. He could, he could grab a penny off the top of the backboard. Ben Simmons probably isn't that athletic but his skill set is terrifying and what and from that perspective mm-hmm. you've got to put him in the market that can that can suit his needs and get his face out there in the nba and, and everyone's talking about how oh, ben simmons isn't being tough they're finding every single angle like you said to throw shade at this guy to make sure he's not the number one pick and i don't, I don't blame him because obviously if ben simmons goes to la you're going to see billboards of ben simmons on the loss on staples center the day after you're going to see ben simmons jerseys being sold out in staples center the day after you're going to see everything go crazy about ben simmons the moment he goes to la and everyone's going to forget about the lot ping pong picks to the day of the draft if he goes to LA everyone's gonna forget about it and everyone's gonna start talking about how he's the greatest thing since sliced bread because that's ultimately what he looks like going forward and from that perspective look I mean and I, I'm just gonna stick strong to this look if the Celtics know what's best for them they got to pick up a guy like Buddy Heald they don't need anything yes. else they don't there's nothing else that they need they, they look I've been saying it all year long and I've been saying it since last year, since I've joined CLNS Radio since the 2014-2015 season, midway through. I said, this team, as they were changing through their roster over the year, you know, last year especially, they, they, they went completely tenfold and changed everything. This year, they didn't change a thing. And they went through the season, and you could make the case that outside of the Golden State Warriors, because obviously outside of everything the Warriors did this year, which is ridiculous, the Boston Celtics had the best chemistry in the NBA. I mean, obviously, this, obviously the Cavs now have probably the best chemistry with the Warriors and obviously what the Thunder are doing. We'll get to that in a little bit. But outside, and then the Spurs. But outside of those four teams and teams that you want to talk about, the Boston Celtics showed some of the best team chemistry in the league, and Brad Stevens' system is glaringly – is just glaring in Boston. It is glaringly great right now, and all they need is that go-to guy. Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald, four years in college – completely improved all the way through. He averaged seven points a game his, his freshman year, 16.5 his sophomore year, 17.4, then 25 a game last year. He scored 925 points. This guy's field goal percentage went up 50%. Look, this guy shot 45% from three, and I understand the point line is different in the NBA compared to – but his, his field goal percentage jumped up every single year and 50% from the line. And this is the games I was talking about in the, in the NCAA tournament. Game against Texas A&M. 6 of 13 from the field, did not shoot great, was not a major impact, but he had 10 rebounds, 3 assists, and 17 points as the main scorer. And the game that I think everyone needs to focus on and understand why he's going to be a big asset in Boston, that game against Oregon, that game against Oregon on the 26th of March, almost about two months ago from the day, 80 to 68 victory, and it wasn't even that close. Buddy healed 13 to 20 from the field, 8 to 13 from three. He had four rebounds. He didn't have an assist because he was making everything the, that they gave to him. 
37 points. Since when was the last time you saw – when did Kevin Durant score 37 points in a big-time NCAA tournament game? He couldn't get his team there. Buddy Heald was the reason why Oklahoma was as good as they were. And it's still a shock that he didn't win player of the year in, in college basketball. Absolutely dumbfounded that they didn't do it. They didn't give it to him. They gave it to Denzel Valentine because Michigan State was really, really good. Unfortunately, got upset in the first round. But Buddy Heald was the reason why they did what they did. In the, in the classic, in the instant classic game against Kansas on January 4th, the triple overtime classic, 109 to 106, Buddy Heald get 46 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. This guy is an absolute bona fide superstar in the making. Look, the last time we saw guys come out of college after four years, look, you got Tim Duncan, Damian Lillard. You got these guys coming in. These guys are set and ready to go now. Buddy Heald is the guy. And I can guarantee you right now, and I just said it, Brad Stevens, the moment he saw that they were in the top three, I guarantee you he picked up a mojito, made a, made a plane flight to go somewhere overseas and said, I know exactly who I'm picking up, Buddy Heald. It's, there's no yeah, debate. Like, in my opinion, it's just no debate. You pick this guy up now, your team instantly grabs an extra three or four wins going into next season, and you're a 50-win team in the East. You're a top-four team in the East. All you got to do is look at the Cavs and say, hey, we'll match you. We'll match you and see what happens. I mean, it is – I just don't know how people are just overlooking this and thinking that they're going to go pick, you know, Chris Dunn or whatever. I mean, Buddy Heald's just automatic. But anything else you want to talk about, Chris, before we talk about these games? I, I, I agree with you. I'm ready to talk about these uh, the, the Warriors and the Thunder, man. I'm kind of I'm, – I'm, I'm, I'm not shocked that they I won. Think, I, yeah, I know. I'm not either. I, I, think we got, I think we got Andrew on the line. Andrew, you there, man? What is going on, guys? How are you? Uh, Chris, I can't tell you how relieved I you texted my phone. Um, I'm here all by myself, yeah. and at 8 o'clock, I was like, oh, it's 8 o'clock. Go to grab my phone. Guess what? It's not there. So, I, you know, I don't have a house phone, no way to call it, trying to see what's going on. And then I hear, ding! And I'm like, yes! It was stuck in the couch. The couch <laughs> that was lovely. Andrew, what's your take on this draft lottery before we talk about these games? I know I know one game I want to talk about, but what what's your take on it? Um yeah. I was really bored with it because it went chalk. Um I yeah. as far as the system goes, I, I don't want to say that the system is terrible because I think it's one of the better ways you can do it. Um cuz otherwise you're going to do something where you have everybody have an equal shot. Right, because that's the only other thing I can really think of. I want to hear what your guys' ideas was. Um, everybody has an equal shot, but then you're going to be looking at you know a 42 win team where maybe they let's say the Rockets this year came in in ninth place and they go get the first pick over the 76ers. That's when the flaws for that are going to come out. Because then it, it's ne- it's just never going to work. That would deter tanking more than anything, but. Um, you know, I, I think they have about as good of a system as you can have set up right now. Things that they should change within the system is, one, they need to do it in front of us. I don't care how long it takes. They need to – maybe you don't televise it, but you don't do it behind closed doors and then bring a thing out. Um, I think the uh, the odds for chalk have to be low, dude. I mean, because nobody really has over a 50% chance once you get into the top five to stay at the same place. Um so, so the the chalk odds gotta be low, but at, for now, I think they have the best way to do it. But I, I think they should definitely be open to either amending it or just changing the process altogether. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I, like we've had a lot of conversations about changing it, and uh, Andrew, I would I would definitely suggest going back and listening to our ideas over the. I know you've been super busy with everything, but we definitely talked about it on the show. We got 20 minutes till the Western Conference Finals game two, but let's talk about these games from from over the last couple of days, the game ones of the conference finals. Last night's game. This is all the pass, and James still manages to track it down. James on the drive. Probably the greatest dunk I've ever seen. I'm not even, like, I don't even, look, I've seen Paul George go down the lane (laughs) on a fast break and do a 363, a 360, and and dunk the ball. And LeBron James, look, on the corner, up 13, all of a sudden he's got Damari Carroll on him, which we would, I think, agree that he's probably, when he's healthy, I don't know if he's healthy or not, but when he's healthy, he's one of the better defenders in the league. We know LeBron's got his number from last year, especially in the postseason. But that play on the baseline, look, 31-year-old man. Look, he's not like he's not the 23-year-old LeBron anymore who could do this in his sleep. This guy, 31 years old, and I know he's been rested, goes on the baseline, one dribble, two steps towards the rim, up and under, and slams down the ball so hard that it looks like a half moon, and the crowd absolutely goes bonkers. It was one of the craziest dunks I've ever seen. I mean, ever. I lost my mind. I just kept on tweeting LeBron James, you know, the little kid LeBron James. LeBron. I just tweeted that like a million times watching the vine it was insane this team right now in the cleveland cavaliers last night winning the ball game 115 to 84 absolute domination it was like i heard i heard a whole bunch of analogies today but it was like watching an eighth grader steal a kindergartner's money for lunch i mean it was bad this was absolute domination by the cleveland cavaliers they've won nine games in a row now 115 to 84 they're up one game in the series andrew what's your take and then chris i'll get yours on the other side well uh best dunk of all time maybe chill out a little bit uh, it was a phenomenal dunk don't don't get me wrong phenomenal i mean the way he blew by him the way he kept his feet inbounds and then making the ball squish literally deflate because he dunked it home so hard um was amazing um this this Cavs team is just completely outclassing everybody and it, they're making it look easy man and I know people are going to want to go, this is the East, and then the other side is going to go, well, look at the records compared to who the Warriors played. One, the East is way weaker. Okay, I'd rather I'd rather play the, the, the Rockets and the Pistons. I'd rather play the Hawks and the Blazers, and I'd much rather play the Raptors than the Thunder. Um, but the way they're outclassing these teams, don't tell me they'd be in any trouble in the Western Conference playoffs unless they were playing Golden State right now. I mean, this is this is the best I've seen a team play this year, and this is the year where we saw one team win 73 games and another team win 67. Andrew, you there? Andrew, you there? Uh, uh, did my, you fall my off the line? Am I out? I'm back. I'm, I'm back. I'm back. I'm here. Okay. Um. No problem. I cut out. I dropped, but it called back. It was weird. No problem. Um, so yeah, they're they're outclassing everybody um, in, in every way. Uh, the it, the three pointers. It and then last night they didn't even have to go to the three pointers. They were doing it inside. No. And then they they went outside when they had to. I mean, we saw LeBron. What what he make his first ten shots, nine shots, and then he took a three. Um, Something like that. He, he was eleven for twelve inside the paint. Uh, it's too easy for the team right now. They're going to go into that finals more rested than they were on opening 
opening night, and I, I think we're looking at the 2016 NBA champions. I really do. Yeah. Chris, what's your take on this team? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I got to be that guy. I got I have to be that guy. Like, it's the East <laughs> to me, man. I have to be that guy. Just I'm not impressed simply because of the world they've taken to get here. You know, if, if – the, the if the Warriors didn't have to play like uh, James Harden and the Rockets, then I don't think they would be where they are now. You know, it, it's they had a much tougher role. And then facing off against Portland, like Portland is one of the scariest teams to play in the playoffs. Um, and, and two years, Portland right now is basically what the Warriors were in 2013. Just a few more pieces and they'll be there, man. With Lillard and McCollum, they're on their way. Um, and I just don't think that the East can really match up. You know, with with the Pistons and the Hawks, the Cavs haven't played a bona fide superstar. I don't think they've played that guy that could give you 30 every night without question. This playoff, they haven't. It's just – and even on the Raptors now, nobody on their team can really, really – like, no one puts fear in you at all, you know, on none of those teams in the East. It's literally Le- – LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love are literally the best players in the Eastern Conference. Just and but the way they're winning by thirty points, man, and it's like an easy thirty. It's not like they're giving NBA Finals effort and winning by thirty. They're just, I, and and I get it to eat, but when you're talking thirty point wins, nine wins in a row against playoff teams, mind you, and, and let's let the Raptors did win, I believe, sixty percent of their games against the West, and they won fifty seven games this year. So, so I get your point, but I also think being not impressed is, is you know, taking it a little far because this has been unbelievable. No, I, I don't care if they're playing the local yeah. YMCA team. I, I think that that's why I think that yeah. the NBA needs to make a few changes to the uh, the playoff format so that the seeding is based solely on record so that we can get yeah. the best 16 teams in there and then <clears throat> make sure that um, – there aren't any cakewalks because I feel like LeBron, maybe three out of his uh, six finals appearances, most of them have been cakewalks. Like yeah, in a row, yeah. He played Milwaukee a lot of times, and he played Brooklyn and the, the the Celtics when they were breaking down. And it's kind of like he never really has any serious competition in the first round. He's never lost a first-round series, but he, he's never had any competition. Only two comp- competitive series I can think of him having is um, what was it against uh, Indiana in 2014, maybe game one, uh, round one with those guys, or uh, that was round 2013. Yeah, uh, yeah. Washington, Washington back in like '06. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not he doesn't really have to compete until he gets to the finals, and it makes also, it easy I for think, him. I think he has to be credited for part of that as well for you know, making these teams most of the time look like they're not competition because they are still a playoff team in, in the NBA, which isn't, you know, it's one of the easier sports, probably the easiest sports to do it. But at the same time, these are playoff teams, regardless of how you look at it. And if you look, I mean, the overall record of the East and the West this year, the East looks better. Um, well, not overall, but at the bottom, at the bottom of the playoff seed, right, things right, like that. Right. And I personally would rather play, and I'm a homer, I know, but – I would rather play Detroit, or I'd rather play Houston than Detroit. I'm sorry. Yeah, right, right. 
And uh, here's the I, thing. Here's the thing, fellas. With with this with this with this conversation, here's the thing that I, I want to say too. I heard some craziness on national media too. This is how high some of the national media was today. There were some people were saying that this Cavs team currently is better than the the Miami Heat teams of the 2012-2013. Oh, I was sitting there no. thinking, hold on, like let's let's chill out. No. Like, exactly. Let's chill out a little bit because. There were that team like just step back like Dwayne Wade. Granted, his knee was not where it is now. Like if, if Dwayne Wade was the way, if Dwayne Wade was the Dwayne Wade of this year, those four years, wrap it up. It's three or four championships minimum, like minimum. But but at the same time, Chris Bosh did not need to put in the effort that he needed to. He please stepped back from his actual talent to play a role uh, on that team. But the point is, mm-hmm. is this Cavs team and, and like and to your point, Chris, and to your point, Andrew, uh, the. Eastern Conference, this is probably the weakest we've actually ever seen it from the standpoint of overall talent. From the standpoint of parity, it is definitely very parity-driven. Between from teams eight through two, there's not much of a difference. You just have to give a lot of credit to the Cavs for being so great. I mean, they're so great that I think even in the West, they would be a team where they would where they would be definitely a four or three seed at worst. At worst. And when you look at it from that perspective, you got to give more credit to the Cavs. Than that. And again, again, I agree with Chris from the standpoint of the East is so weak that we do need to receive but you also like Andrew said you got to look at it from the standpoint of the East or the, the, the Cavs are just they're playing out of their mind I mean what they did to the Hawks and I believe it was game two where they shot 30 oh, darn near 33 pointers and they made them all and it and then you look at the fact that what they did against the Pistons and the Pistons were their toughest matchup mind you they were after looking at how they played against the Hawks and how they played against game one against the Raptors, the Pistons were their toughest challenge. That just goes to show you how good the Pistons are going to be down the stretch. And they're not even ready uh, maturity-wise in the postseason. That's just how good they're going to be down the road. But when it comes to the Cavs and what they're doing, it's like just get out of the way and watch what they're doing. It's amazing. And I agree, East isn't good. But from the standpoint of that, it's unbelievable uh, of watching. But let's talk about the Western Conference Finals from Game 1. Now, I rewatched the fourth quarter, and a lot of things I want to get to, and I want to get you guys' opinions on this, because obviously, this, this I'm so jacked. This, this series, this Game 2 starts in 10 minutes. We're just going to talk about it, and we're going to get out of here. Game 1, the Golden State Warriors, uh, they lost. They were up 60-47, to 47, and Klay Thompson went off in the first half. Unbelievable first half by him. But then, I was telling this to people on Twitter, and I was telling them, look, Golden State should be, I mean, the Thunder should be very great, or not the Thunder, but the Warriors should be grateful that they're not, I mean, the Thunder should be grateful they're not down by 25, and that the Thunder are only down 13. People were looking, or were retweeting me like, oh, you're just saying that, and I'm like, no, dude, I watched this team play against my Spurs. This is exactly what they do. They find a way to test the waters, and then all of a sudden, they make a little bit of adjustments, and they make the Golden State Warriors, and they make your team play their style. Something happened on Mother's Day where Billy Donovan said, we're going to figure out our team, we're going to make adjustments, and we're going to dominate. And that's exactly what they did in the second half as they outscored. Get this. This is, a cra- this is the craziest stat that no one's mentioned for some reason. For some reason, people have not mentioned this stat. The Warriors outscored the, uh, the, Warriors outscored the, the Thunder 60-47 to at half, correct? The Thunder outscored the Warriors 61-40 to to, 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 uh, 61 to 40, uh, 44 or 40, 45, 45 They absolutely found a way, or maybe more than that. I don't know. They outscored them. They dominated. They dominated in this, in, I don't know if it was 60-something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They dominated 
what they wanted to get. It was 61 to 42. And the best, the most craziest part about that is if you rewatch the fourth quarter, which I did, uh, the, obviously the Thunder came in, they were down, they were down 88 to 85. Kevin Durant hits a three to, uh, to tie it with about, you know, 1145 left in the ball game. And it's basically a new ball game from there. The Golden State Warriors only scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. Kevin Durant was atrocious in the fourth. I believe he shot 3 of 12 from the field. Russell Westbrook only had five points. Adams had, had a couple buckets. Uh, obviously, uh, Cantor had a couple buckets. Deion Waiters had five points. This wasn't just Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook down the stretch playing hero ball. This was obviously Kevin Durant struggled. But this was a team that adjusted to their game and at the end, if you watch, if you rewatch it, because a lot of people aren't going to rewatch it, because a lot of people aren't me and aren't crazy and ridiculous when it comes to this. But when you rewatch it and you watch the Warriors, they completely played into Oklahoma City's hands. They started trying to play hero ball. They didn't drive to the hoop. They were settling mm-hmm. for threes when they had open lanes to the rim. They tried to find ways to outplay. And the scariest part about it, when I rewatched the quarter, Russell Westbrook stayed in control the entire fourth quarter, fundamentally sound. Yes, Kevin Durant struggled, but they stayed true to who they were, and they did not get out of control. Steven Adams and Enos Cantor are the biggest threat in this series. I don't care what you say, and obviously if you rewatch the game, you saw multiple facets in the game where you saw Enos Cantor and Steven Adams have a serious threat on the inside. Every single time the Golden State Warriors missed a shot, whether the, whether the Thunder grabbed the ball or not, they had a hand on that ball as it was coming down. Every single time, whether they grabbed it, whether they tipped it out, whether they were impacting it, it was absolutely incredible. Another adjustment that I saw throughout the game that the, that the Thunder made as they were testing it, they Kevin Durant on Steph Curry. An absolutely brilliant move. We all know Kevin Durant is not the best of defenders, but when you put a 6'10 guy with a wingspan of about 7'5 on a guy who's 6'2", 6'3", and all he can do is run around and shift, if you put a gate in front of a guy like that on top of an extended hand that he hasn't seen and that a view that he's not used to, it's going to make him struggle. Steph Curry's used to stepping back and shooting in front of guys with an average body length. Kevin Durant is a different body length altogether. And when you throw that at a guy like Steph Curry and you see his, his mentality towards the way he plays the game, it's going to impact his shot. It impacted him throughout the final portions of the game. And people say, oh, Steph Curry struggled. No, that was the adjustment Oklahoma City put on him. Russell Westbrook, 19 points in the fourth quarter. That was Russell Westbrook saying, I'm here. I'm not going to be not called a superstar. I'm ready to take the next step. And he did it in game one. He still got the rest yeah. of this series to prove it. But Russell Westbrook is a – I'm telling you, his play in this game – and what's crazy is if you look at the box score, if you would have told me – look, if you would have told me these numbers, 40 minutes played, 9 of 22 from the field, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 7 turnovers, and 26 points scored, I would have told you that would have been Russell Westbrook's line. No, that's Steph Curry's line. Steph Curry had 7 assists, 7 turnovers. You want to hear Russell Westbrook's line? 40 minutes played, 6 rebounds, 12 assists, 7 steals, and get this, 3 turnovers, 27 points scored. Oh, and 19 of those were in the guess. You guessed it, in the, fourth, in the third quarter, and then 5 of those were in the fourth. Russell Westbrook is the one who took over this ball game late, and he was the one who dictated the pace of the ball game. Not Steph Curry, not Draymond Green, not Klay Thompson. This was the, this was the 
Oklahoma City Thunder absolutely holding pace in this ball game. And one thing I want to mention before I let you talk, Chris, I don't know where uh, I don't know where Andrew is. I think he fell off the line. I think he's a busy man. Um, Andre Robinson Robertson made a play in this ball game where he made an unbelievable block on a play down the line down the lane. I believe it was Draymond Green throwing up a floater, and and Andre Robertson tipped the ball, grabbed the rebound passed it down court, and then made a layup on the other end of the floor with the play. That play right there is what is honestly what defines what this Thunder team is doing. They're coming out of nowhere. They're making plays that are unexpected, and they're adjusting the great – I'm talking – these are probably two of the greatest teams we've ever seen in the San Antonio Spurs and the, Oklahoma, and the, and the Golden State Warriors, and no one can figure them out right now. Chris, what was your take from this game in game one, and, and what do you see – what do you think is going to happen tonight? I, I I remember we spoke about it before it happened, and I told you with those adjustments with that <clears throat> with that new Thunder lineup with Cantor um, and Adams in there, it would either be a bend or break situation for one of the teams. Which one team was going to break? Either either the Thunder are going to dominate with the big lineup, or they're going to have switches because the Warriors are killing them with the small ball, and the Warriors are the right. team that broke. They just tried to just like you said, hero ball, just jacking up shots. No flow in the offense, very stagnant. Um, it just didn't. They weren't operating efficiently. It wasn't a cool machine like we've seen all season. They looked very, very yes. rattled. And I, I love that you pointed out that uh, switch with Durant on Curry because as soon as he got that switch, he he was rattled. You could see it. He just wasn't himself. Yeah. Durant I and mean, Durant wasn't playing amazing defense. He just his length is just his body type. You you really can't avoid that. So. That definitely helps the Thunder, and um, I love when Russell Westbrook plays under control. When he plays under control, yeah, oh I would say oh he's, he's yeah. unstoppable because he has athleticism yeah. and the IQ and the skill level to do pretty much everything you need him to do. But his issue is a lot of times he's out of control. And throughout this season with all the triple-doubles, we've seen Westbrook compete at a higher level because he, when he slows down, that's when he gets a triple-double when he slows down and makes better decisions. Instead of running through the defense, throwing up a crazy shot, he slows down and dump it off to Adams or Canner and they get a layup, you know. And it, it, it's just – it's he's really, really scary when he plays under control. It's frightening yeah. how good he is. Yeah. It's frightening because he can blur past your whole team and still make a great pass to Durant for an open three. And before we – we're used to seeing him – uh, someone on Twitter called it Westbrooking, you know, kind of like a, use it as a, as a noun. And I, I love that they do yeah. that. That's very true. Sometimes he just gets out of control and he'll blow a game for you, taking crazy shots and just playing really, really way too fast. But when he slows down, man, that that dude is terrifying. And the Warriors are going to have to make some kind of adjustments tonight. Um, I definitely think that um, Curry will find a way to get going. But I think players like Harrison Barnes and Iguodala will have to – 10, 15 points. They have to do something else to contribute a, a little more to the Warriors' cause because and somebody's going to have to rebound because Cantor and Adam, it's just it's, it's difficult because yeah. not only do you have those two big trees, you have Westbrook flying in, and you have Roberson who his job is only to defensive rebound. That's all he's in the game to do. So he and he loves doing it. You can tell he just loves playing his, playing his role. He loves it. And it's, it's the, the Warriors have to find a way to rebound and get the ball because a lot of their points come in transition as well. Top, one of the top transition teams in the league, you know, fly down the court, play spots up, and then you still have to guard Curry and Draymond flying to the rim. 
you know, but without that fast break, that cuts out a lot of the Warriors' points because the Thunder, like you said, are rebounding so well. So I think that the Warriors have to find a way to rebound the ball. They have to find a way. If they can't rebound, then I think the, I think Durant might be going to the finals. And honestly, if we saw Thunder versus Cavs, I don't think the Cavs could stop them either. The, see, the Thunder are more impressive to me right now because, like you yeah. said, they've beat two of the most impressive teams we've seen almost like pretty much ever. Putting out the Spurs with four games in a row. It's just the way the Thunder are playing with the adjustments and the coaching is just phenomenal. And that's the team that's scaring me the most right now, the Thunder, because like I said, Westbrook playing under control, coaching is on point, and they just it it seems like like they're they're poised to make a run, man, and they might ruin the Warriors' season. Season, I would not. it, It it wouldn't shock me. It would not shock me. And if you're listening to the live show, we're off in about 10 seconds. We'll jump into the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, don't worry about it. We're going to finish here in about three minutes because we know the Western Conference Finals is going to start in just a second, um, game two. But one thing I said before we get out of here, I said this before the game on, on, on Monday. The, the reason why what's, what's, what's scary about the, the Thunder is that their depth, their size, and now they have trust. And you saw that. And this is where the, mm-hmm. this is where the Warriors are going to struggle, and you saw it in game one. Their depth in game one where you saw guys coming off the bench, obviously the Thunder have – I mean, the Warriors have an unbelievable bench. We all know that their bench is absolutely crazy good. But the Thunder bench, they're finding ways to contribute in ways that we didn't think was possible. Deion Waiters is turning on his game at a very unique time. Obviously, uh, Cantor and, and Steven Adams switching off uh, times – uh, coming off the bench and switching roles at times and obviously playing out on the perimeter at times when they switch off on defense. You're seeing guys like uh, you're seeing guys like uh, like uh, Anthony Morrow come out and play the way he's playing. This this team for the Oak for the uh, Thunder is and we saw it in the third quarter and I was telling people this on Twitter before, you know, during the game in game one. I said, look, watch out for the third quarter because look, if the Thunder keep it under control, because remember, they scored forty seven points off ten turnovers. Like I said, they should have been down twenty five at half instead of thirteen. They found a way to figure it out, and they only had two turnovers in the second half. And when they do that with their depth and their transition and their ability to, to make teams play their identity, which is Oklahoma City identity, which is stagnant, you know, play it at the top, dribble around for a little bit, get it ready, kind of play a little bit like Houston, but then all of a sudden 10 seconds left in the shot clock, make a couple extra passes, an extra jump in the lane, and all of a sudden you got a big man down low with a mismatch. That's what the Thunder are doing, and, the, and for some reason teams aren't figuring it out. And if Billy Donovan can keep that adjustment going and find a way tonight to keep that adjustment on lock, I think, like you said, I think if the Thunder win tonight, it's over. I mean, it's over. There's no way that the, that, the, that the Golden State Warriors, if they come back, look, here's the thing. This would make the Golden State Warriors the greatest team ever. If they go down 2-0 to the Thunder with what they've done here the last six games, if they win five in a row, or excuse me, five games in a row, the last five games, and they do it and they find a way to come back and win, it would only add to their legendary status. But the Thunder, if they keep adjusting and finding ways to pick apart teams like they have, especially with the Warriors and especially with what they did to the Spurs, because like you said, stagnant offense on the offensive side of the ball for the Golden State Warriors just settling for threes. But the Spurs did the exact same thing. Late in ball games, they were just giving the ball to Kawhi Leonard and saying, hey, we got 10 seconds, we can't move because the big men are, are switching off on us. 
you go make it happen. And clearly you saw Kawhi Leonard was not the second best player in the league because he can't mm-hmm. create off the dribble every <laughs> single time. He can't do it. He can't do it. Like he can do it maybe once every five possessions, but he can't do it every possession like Russell Westbrook can, like Kevin Durant can. Like he can't. And, and you saw that. And that's the same thing with Steph. Look, and we we're talking about it with LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals. His shot chart in the first half was eight of eight from the floor, and they were all average feet were two feet from the basket. He was dunking every single time. Steph Curry cannot do that consistently on a on a nightly, possessionly, uh, you know, consistent basis. He can't do it. He's not physical, big enough, size wise. That's just the nature of the beast. That's not ripping on Curry. That's just how it is. When you're six two, you can't force people and push people down low like you could if you're six nine, two hundred fifty pounds. That's just the fact. Curry can't do that. He can't do that on a guy like Durant. When Durant's on him, all Durant's got to do is put his arms out and keep the gate open so that Curry has a, has a tougher time driving to the basket. Klay Thompson, what he did in the first half, he has to continue that throughout the rest of the game to give them a shot. And Draymond, he's only improving. Look, he was great the other night, but he even struggled in the fourth quarter. This team has to play a consistent 48-minute ball game and stay tough the entire time. They let up in the fourth quarter, and the Oklahoma City Thunder found a way to push it forward and keep it going. And, and like I said, the depth and the size and the trust late in the ball game is what the Thunder are going to keep using to win ball games. And if they do that in this one, I wouldn't be shocked if they went back to Oklahoma City and were up two nothing again. And I'm not trying to sit here and say the Warriors won't win. I think the Warriors are going to bounce back tonight. I think they're going to win. I think it's going to be 1-1. I still think the series is going to go 7. And if there's a game 7, I'm going to sit here on the radio and tell you, I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm going to run away into the night and say, I don't know who's going to win. I don't know. I don't know. Just like in 2005 when the Spurs and Pistons played in the NBA Finals, as a Spurs fan, I didn't know who was going to win. I didn't know. It's going to, see, it's going to be the same exact thing going into a game 7 when they play in this series because I think the Warriors bounce back tonight. I think they went big. I think it's going to be a great series after tonight. And it's just going to be fun. Chris, anything else you want to say before we get out of here and go watch this game? Uh, hey, man, if you listen, follow me on Twitter at I'm Just Greatness. Check out my site at simplyhoops.sportsblog.com. we got about a minute left. we got to go catch the Western Conference Finals. It's starting. Game two is on now. Thank you again for listening, everybody. Have a fantastic Enjoy the Western Conference Finals game, too. I'm about to go grab a beer, about to put on some food, about to get out. It's, it's going to be a night. It's going to be a night to remember. This is a must-win for the Warriors. If they don't win, it, I'm telling you, classic night of basketball tonight. Watch Kenny Charles and Shaq. All of it. It's going to be amazing. Have a good one, everybody. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy the game. Have a good one. Enjoy yourself. Have a good night. 